Hey, babe. Yeah. If you were a library book, I'd check you out. <laughs> Wait, you don't read. What? Oh, don't tell everybody that. <laughs> To Love Uncovered, a podcast that pulls back the sheets to look at love from different angles. I'm Robin Wilson, and together with my partner Phil, we'll examine different themes around love. Hey babe, how are you? I'm doing good. I finally feel like I'm over that stupid cold that I had. and You were well, sick for a while. Mostly over it. <laughs> it's brutal. You were sick for a while. When did I become the person that gets sick all the time? I used to be the one that never got sick, and you got sick all the time, and now we've switched. I think it's because you're so much older than I am. Ouch. <laughs> not cool. That's but, not cool at all. But true. It, it is true. I'm getting old. <laughs> you know, I've been thinking, uh, I thought it when we, when we did the first season of our podcast, and it's come to my attention again. We call each other babe a lot. We do, yeah. Yeah, we do. And like we always have. And so I think it's entrenched in our vocabulary now, but every time we do it, especially when I listen to the podcast back, it reminds me of that episode of The Office where everyone goes to Michael and Jan's for a dinner party and it's like, babe, come into the kitchen, babe, do this, babe, oh, babe, how about babe, babe, babe. (laughs) And it drove me crazy that episode. I thought, oh no, that's what we sound like. But those were (laughs) passive aggressive babes and these are definitely not. Do you think that makes a difference or does it just still sound well, because for them it sounded condescending, right? <laughs> I guess. I don't, I don't read it that way personally when we do it, but um, yeah. I don't know. Listeners, you tell us. Is it cringeworthy when we use the word babe? <laughs> I mean, what's the alternative? Bill? Yes. Or good evening, Robin. <laughs> that sounds very much like I don't us. Know. How else do we start it? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of worse things we could be calling it. Other couples, I think, use a lot of... Worst names That's for true. each other. There are worse things. Yeah. There are worse things. <laughs> like what? Oh, no, no, no. That's, that's as far <laughs> as I'm going with that. <laughs> no, I was going to go there, but I... Uh, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. You know, something else that I've been reflecting on since our last episode where we talked about rom-coms, uh, we didn't do a lot of prep work. What? Before the podcast. So we just kind of thought of movies that we liked and tried to remember them as best as we could. And after we were talking about it, I realized, you know, I really, I really like these movies. I want to go watch them. And so I went looking. The only one that was streaming for free was Bridget Jones's Diary. And so I watched it. And the line that I talked about and sort of caused me to tear up about the, you're perfect just the way you are, mm-hmm. was not at the end of the movie. <laughs> it was like right in the middle of the movie. But it doesn't matter though, right? Because that's the way you remembered it. That's what you loved about it. That's all that really matters. The, the small details, like getting a fact correct. Nah, whatever. It's overrated. That's so easy for you to say, but I have been obsessing about it since the podcast, thinking, what else did I get wrong? How many other facts did I get wrong? Was I too critical when I was talking about the, the sort of problematic areas? I was, I've just been nitpicking that whole podcast for but the last two weeks. But stressing about things and, and having anxiety about things that you can't change, there's no way to go back and fix it, aren't really a big deal in a first week. I mean, that is the most Robin thing you can do. It is, it is very me. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I'm the opposite. I will, uh, you know, I might be alerted to something I said that was maybe not 100% accurate and I just move on already. I'm like, what? What was <laughs> nah, that <whatever>. even about? <laughs> I'm already way past that. <laughs> You're lucky. I worry about a lot of things. 
And so last uh, last week we put out a poll on Twitter asking what our mm, copious amounts of listeners wanted us to talk about this week. And overwhelmingly people said mental health. And so I figure that that's probably something we know a bit about. I'm sure we do. And I also wonder if they just wanted to hear us mm-hmm. spill like dish some dirt or Maybe. like what? Well, <laughs> I mean, which is fine. We're not really hiding anything anyway. No, so. exactly. Like we're pretty much an open book. <laughs> so full disclosure, I have a mental illness. Uh, I'm, I have diagnosed general anxiety disorder that causes me to worry about Everything. Everything. Pretty yeah. much everything. <laughs> to varying degrees. <laughs> varying degrees, exactly. We all live uh, our mental health on a continuum. So from positive mental health, you're flourishing, you have no diagnosed mental illnesses, things are great, you're happy, life is good, you don't feel like you're being too terribly challenged. And then it goes all the way down the continuum to maybe a severe mental illness that's really having strong effects on your life. Right. And we all kind of live up and down on that continuum. Different days can be feeling different ways. And however we express one day might be something completely different. It's kind of how it works. Mental health works. Yeah. And you should know you are a social worker. So it is kind of in your (laughs) wheelhouse. Uh, And so you are here for the, you know, legitimate fact-based, you know, analysis of stuff like that. At least that's what I'm going (laughs) with. And I'm here for the anecdotal buffoonery. (laughs) (laughs) Which I appreciate your buffoonery. There's room for both. There is. (laughs) So what kind of mental health challenges do you see as things that could potentially throw a wrench into a relationship? Well, I think, I mean, really any sort of challenge that someone could be experiencing with their mental health can have an impact on a relationship. Um, There are very common ones that we see a lot of like depression and anxiety. We see that a lot. Um, It's very common for people to be experiencing those either situationally or long-term. I know that you have claustrophobia. That's an example that someone might not normally think of as a mental health challenge, but that's certainly something that um, that you struggle with from time to time. Right. It certainly is a challenge. Yeah. And uh, it can go to sort of things that you don't see that often that can have sort of a more severe impact like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or something like borderline personality disorder. Um, We can see these uh, cropping up in relationships as well. I mean, so long as there's humans involved, anything could happen, really. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually a really good rule for life. Um, Eliminate human interaction because it's a pain. That's not what I said. (laughs) Are you trying to suggest that I misread the point of the story? Shocking. Were you even listening to me? Stunning. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the big ones, you know, like bipolar and, and, you know, schizophrenia and stuff like that, I think are, those are big, you know, on a daily basis, life-altering kind of things, right? So, I mean, I to mean, be fair, depression can be as well. For sure. Yeah. You just see more depression, I think. Right. I think the other ones maybe are maybe even more visible, I guess, is where I'm going with that. Maybe. That it's obvious to people more often than not that there's something going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, to me... Any kind of mental health challenge that you might have has the potential to be a big thing to whoever is experiencing it, for sure. And how far that radiates out and affects the people around them, I and mean, that's that's variable, right? Yeah, totally. Really have, but I mean, you know, I I look at my claustrophobia on the grand scale of things to be a little bit smaller of an issue because I do have ways I can get around things, right? Mostly, you know, if I'm if I'm panicked in an elevator, I usually have an option to take the stairs, and I. 
you know, I can just put myself in situations to get around being um, in an uncomfortable situation for me, whereas some other, some other things you just can't. Right. Although I do recall a um, van ride on a tour in Mexico where you were stuck in a back seat that in my brain, when I was looking at it, I thought, oh, he, he'll be totally fine here. It had lots of space. You had lots of room in front of you to kind of stretch out, but you were not okay. And I, there were no options for you to get out of there. No, I was not okay. I was, I, and I knew that when I looked at the van, I thought I need to sit in the front seat of this thing, even though it's a big sliding door on the side. A, it's not a door that I could just grab and open at a moment's notice, even though flying down the highway, there's 0% <laughs> chance I'm going to open the door and get out. But still, the ability to know that that door could be opened or window. And so that was the second, that was probably even the bigger thing, was that the window doesn't open. Right. And it started to get a little warm in there. The it AC was, very was warm. sketchy at best. Yeah. And as anyone who has claustrophobia knows, when you add heat to a claustrophobic situation, that makes things way, way worse. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, most people, you know, 99% of people in the world will probably just get on that bus and not think of it. It wasn't crazy hot. It wasn't that big of a deal. However, for me, it was. It really was. I felt so bad for you because we were stuck on this van. We drove up to a waterfall that was probably, the drive itself was probably, what, an hour 45? Yeah, yeah, in that area. Yeah, and super windy roads. So, and it was hot and you couldn't open any windows and there was probably, it probably fit about 12 people in this van, I would say. Yeah, something like that. And I felt so bad for you. You were, you were in a pretty heightened state of distress. I was because I was, you know, even when you look at the van, I, I already know just looking at it that this is going to be a problem for me. And then, so, you know, your mind starts working overtime, even though this, it's just totally fine. The situation is actually legitimately fine. <laughs> it was. But your mind, this is why it's a, it's a mental mental health issue because I can't control it. I can't control spiraling out of control and starting to get panicked and really right. hot and nervous and um, anxious and everything else. Even though everyone else would be completely fine <laughs> in that seat. When you look at it, there's lots of leg room. I can stretch out. I'm not constricted. But that's that's what it is. It's... It's unrational and unreasonable reactions to everyday things. And right. It's, it's, uh, it's awkward sometimes, and it's annoying sometimes, and sometimes embarrassing. Yeah, but I bet. That's life. Everybody's got something they don't like about themselves. We all have something, yeah. And that's one thing about, um, I mean, at least with us, at this point in our relationship, we know each other fairly well, so I know your signs. I've learned to sort of notice when you're starting to hit that that area of being in distress. Um, mostly I can recognize, oh, this is not going to be a good situation. But honestly, when we were in that van, I thought, oh, he'll be fine. This is great. This is probably the second best seat he could be in. Right. Well, and that's, and that's completely fair because sometimes I don't know when it's going to be a problem either. I think things are going to be okay. And then when we're in the situation, I find out, uh-oh, it's not really okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's, I think... One of the keys for us is that we know each other well enough at this point that um, you can identify when something's not going well for me <laughs> and you immediately will jump in and do what you can. And, and in that case, you know, it's, you had a fan that you were using cause it's a little bit warm and you probably would have liked to keep that, but you gave it to <laughs> me because anything to cool me off is great. Right. Uh, even just simple things like 
you were in the seat behind me and you would just grab um, and, and rub the back of my neck a little bit. <laughs> yes, I would just, just like, grab your neck. Yeah, just wring my <laughs> neck. Yeah. And um, amazingly, once you're being choked, you don't care if it's uh, constricted in there at all. <laughs> my neck is constricted. Um, no, but I mean, it's just one of those things that you've learned now how to kind of distract me from what's going on. And it, and it's sometimes it's just the smallest little, very subtle things like the mm-hmm. little neck rub or... You know, like just a small rub on my shoulders or something like that, just to kind of distract me a little bit, calm me down a little bit. Right. Um, and and I know that you're you're there for me to help get me through it. So, mm-hmm. and I mean great. that's that's something that we've learned over over the years that we've been together. It's hard to develop that though because early on in a relationship, sometimes the mental health challenges can crop up pretty early. Like for us, I suffered from depression when we were dating and I was on antidepressants to manage it and everything was great. And then after a couple months of us dating, I thought, no, this is good. I'm happy. Things are fun. I really like this guy. I don't need these dumb pills. I'm happy now. And that was not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely was not a good idea. No. Turns out that uh, depression, my depression was not situational. It was something longstanding that I needed to deal with. And the medication was helping me do that. And so being off the meds, I think probably through you, because who is this person that you had started dating? I was suddenly angry all the time and I was crying all the time and I was a a different person, I think. But that's just it. You weren't angry all the time. (laughs) You were fine, but then two minutes later, you're definitely not fine. And something I could have said, you know, 20 minutes ago, I now cannot say without getting my head ripped off. So that was a real adjustment because I had never had to deal with something like that before. Um, And and when I look back at that, I go, I I didn't handle it very well. I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, And we were younger and we were a little less experienced dealing with things, (laughs) life and everything else. And I look back at that time and I think to myself, why... Why did I react that way? I, that's not how I would react now. <laughs> well, of course, because we've lot, grown. But a lot of that is credit to you, though, because you have always, you know, over the years, had taught me how to deal with this stuff a lot better in a number of ways. And and through your work in social work, there's a lot of things that I've learned. Um, uh, you know, I'm certainly no social worker, but you come home and talk about your work and your schooling, and some of that rubs off on me. And so now it helps me to deal with situations better, too, even though you're not necessarily trying to teach me Right, how to right. deal with this stuff. You know, I wouldn't discount your initial instincts, though, because early on in our relationship when that was happening, I would go off my meds because I was happy and then became decidedly unhappy and go back on my meds. And I did this a couple of two or three times before you finally sat me down and said in a very, I remember it being very kind, but concerned and stern you need to go back on your meds. You have to stop doing this because this is not good for either of us. And that to me was, it was a bit of a revelation because not only were you being honest with me and sitting me down and saying, this needs to stop. And I realized, yes, he is correct. This is unfair to both of us. But it also gave me, I think it brought us a bit closer together because it showed me that you weren't scared of it. You weren't going to run away. You were here. You were helping me deal with this. And for me, it helped reduce some of that shame or some of that stigma that I think a lot of people with mental illnesses feel. And you showed me that you were someone that I could trust, someone that would stick by me even when I was really acting 
um, in an unpleasant way, we'll say. Well, I, th- I think there's a lot to that, right? Like, I think people don't reveal these sorts of things about themselves really early in a relationship for fear that someone's going to cut and run, right? Oh, for sure. You know, if you're, you're on your second date and somebody's revealing all these, you know, big life-changing issues that you might have to deal with the rest of your life, I mean, that's, you're not invested at that point, mm-hmm. you know, the tendency, which is why I wonder if, you know, dating apps and stuff tell you too much right. at the beginning, right? You learn too much and you're like, no, no, this isn't perfect <laughs> right away. So forget <laughs> yeah, this person. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, nobody's perfect for you. So everybody's going to have their issues and you, it doesn't matter who you're with. You're going to have to deal with some of these things, right? Yeah. So um, I think what we found is the more that we had open discussions and honest discussions about what was going on, Mm -hmm. um, the better prepared we were to deal with them in the future. Yeah, for sure. And it's, and one thing that sort of you became for me in that moment and moving forward is something that I call a breath support, right? So it's a person in your life that may notice if you're breathing unevenly before you do, right? And so when I would go off my antidepressants, I didn't notice right away. It took me a long time to clue in that, oh, something is not right. And you would notice way before I would. And so I think that's an important role, sort of like me when you were in the van in Mexico. We notice each other and we pay attention to what someone's triggers might be, what might some strategies be to help bring them down, to help calm them a bit uh, in situations of distress. And so I think that's really important in a relationship is to to not just count on the person to take care of themselves, but to be that support in maybe noticing before they're aware of it. Right. And I think it's important to, to remember that as somebody trying to support somebody in that situation, you're not expected to know all the answers. No, of course not. And so what I found the most helpful thing for me is, is we actually, you know, one time we had had a fight because, uh, you know, whatever, we were having a fight about something. <laughs> we'll call it a loud discussion. Yes, a very loud discussion. <laughs> Including door slamming. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember, you know, when we had a conversation about that afterwards, I remember you saying to me something along the lines of, you know, I need you to just, just ask me what I need. Right. Like, I, I don't need you to have all the answers. Just ask me what I need. What can, what can you do for me? And that will help. And I've started doing that a lot. Mm-hmm. And I find that helps a lot. Like, I, okay, I, I, my instinct is to always try and solve every problem that ever comes <laughs> up and try and make everything perfect for you. But realistically, I don't know what's going to make it perfect for you. And there's nothing at all wrong with saying, what can I do to help right now? Right. And sometimes now I'm at the point where I kind of know some things that I can do, but I still need to ask sometimes. (laughs) And I appreciate that. I think for a long time, when um, I would get upset for whatever reason, um, I would need you to reassure me. And your instinct was to give me a minute to leave me be. And so I might go lay down in the bedroom and cry in bed, just wishing and hoping that you would come in and lay with me and ask me what's going on or ask what you can do. And you would sit in the living room and wait for me to cry it out and come back out. And, and also I would be sitting in the living room going, what did I do? I don't know what I want. Oh man, I must've done something really bad here. (laughs) And of course, that was probably never the case, no. right? No. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the times it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it definitely wasn't, but... Uh, <laughs> sometimes it probably definitely was. Yeah. I mean, my instinct is usually to just let you get it out. Right. 
and, and after talking about it, we realized, no, nah, it's not what you need. Right. You don't, you don't always need me to leave you alone. You, you need me to even just show some concern and, and ask what's going on. Yeah. And that, that has completely changed the dynamic of when it happens. It really has. And that's, I mean, we've been together 20 years, almost 20 years, and that's fairly recent. I would say that we've just kind of figured that out in the last maybe year or two. Life's a work in progress. It's made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Another thing for me, which has been ongoing, the depression, thankfully, uh, I've gone to therapy. I've had that dealt with. It's not really a big concern for us anymore. But anxiety is something that sort of touches everything in my life. So like I discussed at the top of the episode with worrying about our last episode and what I said and what I could have said wrong, that's just an example of sort of how I think about everything. Right. And it's that anxious behavior. Um, I worry about everything. And um, when the worries are loud in my head, I need a lot. I need a lot from you. And that can be a lot because lots of things that I need is also pushing you out of your comfort zone, right? So right. I'll need, um, I, I might need to be touched more. So um, you're not a super touchy person. You're claustrophobic. You don't like to be, you don't like to be held or cuddled because that triggers your mental health <laughs> challenges. What a pair we are. <laughs> How have we made it this far? I don't know. <laughs> Or I'll need you to reassure me that everything's going to be okay or to validate that everything's going to be all right and that you're still going to be there um, because that's what I need at that moment, even if it's hard for you. Right. No, I agree. I mean, identifying these little things that you can do for somebody, like one of the examples that I like is on a recent holiday we had and we were in Portugal, we were going, we were at the Lisbon airport and we were... You know, it was a little bit stressful already because there was a tropical storm. There was a little bit of a threat that we maybe might not get on the flight and get out. Um, A a little tropical storm. Yeah. I mean, garbage cans floating down the street kind of (laughs) tropical storm. It was a little nutty. But I mean, so we got to the airport. We didn't really have the boarding passes printed and and didn't seem like they were really working electronically either. And so we thought, oh no, do we have to have these printed? We have to get in this lineup. It was a huge line time was starting to run short. There was nobody working there to ask any questions of. It was like two days before Christmas, the busiest travel day of the year. Right. And so, you know, I could see your anxiety starting to get there because now you're worried about, are we going to miss this flight? Are we, we don't have what we need this lineup. We won't even get through this lineup in time. Uh, And you could just see the temperature rising there. Yeah. Yeah. I was on the verge of a full blown panic attack there. Yeah. And you weren't, yeah. So you weren't, you weren't doing well and I could see that. And at some point, you know, it's both of our, MO was to generally just like, ah, we'll just wait it out and whatever. So <laughs> yeah. something, this will sort itself out. For sure. <laughs> Let's wait and Rather see. Rather than deal with things. <laughs> but at this point, you know, we were in a lineup trying to find out if we had to get boarding passes printed and everything. And I, and I just, you know, I could just see you getting worse and worse and worse. And I just decided, you know, it's not my comfort zone to go up and push through a lineup of people to go to the front and just blurt out a question <laughs> and just, I need an answer for this. Um, so that's out of my comfort zone. So, but I had to go do that. Like I looked at it as you're in a headspace right now where you can't deal with this stuff. And it's my job now, even though it's a little bit out of my comfort zone to step up. I mm-hmm. need to step up here and take charge of the situation and, and get us out of this little thing, which in hindsight doesn't seem that bad. But in that time, it felt. and the time stresses and everything else, it, 
you know, it was making us both quite anxious, yeah, frankly. It felt bad. And, you know, I so appreciated when you did that because I, I didn't have the capacity in that moment to do anything. And for you to take that lead and make those decisions that I was unable to do meant so much to me in the moment. And even just, you know, when you, when you got the answer that we were looking for and we could sort of keep going through the airport, just the fact that you were willing to sort of hold my hand as we walked through the airport and kind of regulated me and helped calm me down. It, it really means the world when, when someone that you care for so much is willing to step up. And sometimes I wonder if it's better for me to keep a calm demeanor or whether that's actually annoying as hell. Oh, no. No, <laughs> no. That helps me a lot. Well, think of when you're getting claustrophobic. If I'm sitting beside you and I'm getting all anxious. Yeah. Does that help you? Mm, no. Nothing <laughs> helps me, honestly. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I almost don't even pay attention to anything else going around me, which is why I think the like doing something physically helps. Mm-hmm. Because I can't hear what anybody's saying. Anything anybody says is kind of irritating, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so those all, those little gestures that you learn what helps that person, that those are invaluable. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, one thing that helps me a lot when I'm feeling anxious is for you to give me a back rub. And I think it's something that a lot of couples do for each other. We give each other back rubs and, um, I'm sure everyone has their own reasons for, for why. I mean, it feels nice. It's good to have that connection with your partner. Everything's, you know. Um, but for me, it serves a very different purpose in that, I mean, it provides me that touch, which when I'm feeling anxious helps calm me down. Um, and it really just helps me to, like, it really just brings me to a level where I can think and where my brain starts to work again and where I stop spinning and stop worrying. I can just focus on your hands on my back and it sort of makes the world slow down a little bit. And it's really important for me. And it's, it's funny that it took us a long time to get to this point because there was a long time in our relationship where back rubs were a serious point of contention. Yeah, there were some arguments about back rubs. <laughs> we would like get seriously angry with each other because, no, no, it's my turn. Uh, I rubbed you last night, so tonight's my turn. No, 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 it's my turn. And so we would just stop doing it all together. Well, yeah, because it, especially one of us, me, uh, always thought the scorecard <laughs> was getting a little bit lopsided in one direction, right? Um, and you know, and so I just had to think of a, I had to have a better way of thinking of things like you, you, when you want a back rub, you don't want a back rub, you need a back rub. And when I want a back rub, I just want a back rub. (laughs) I don't need it. It's not therapeutic for me. It's just like, oh, that's nice. Um, and so that's why, you know, for you, it was imperative to have. And for me, it was just kind of a nice to have. Right. And I do try and reciprocate. Like if I have the capacity and I'm feeling good and I'm awake enough to do it before bed. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's the key being awake enough before bed. (laughs) Exactly. Leave yourself plenty of time. (laughs) That's the key to almost everything in life. I think so. And I mean, it's about developing those strategies with each other. So when we would fight about the back rubs, you didn't know why it was so important to me. You just thought that, like, whatever, I'm being greedy for my back rubs, which, like, I mean... Are yes. you for real? You don't remember the last three that you had in a row? Like, 
Come on. <laughs> but it's about being open with each other and, and voicing your needs and why you need it. So, it, which isn't always easy because I know I can feel like a burden if I'm asking for too much. But I find that open communication of this is what I need from you and this is why I need it. This is why it's important. And um, one thing that we've started that, I say we, one thing that I've started doing is if I'm really snappy or if I'm feeling upset about something, I'll say, I'm upset, but I'm not upset at you. I'm sorry if I snap at you. This isn't you. And I really appreciate that too, because as someone on the receiving end of something like that, you don't know. You you are thinking everything you said and did over the last mm-hmm. couple of days, like, what? why are you so mad at me? And you're not really realizing. So when you tell me in advance, like, look, it's not you, I am in a crappy mood and whatever, if I say something or I am snap at you or whatever, it's not you. Mm-hmm. And I, then I can reconcile it and I can deal with that a lot easier. Right. Because now I know I'm not, I don't have that a- extra anxiety about what did I do? What did I do? Oh my God, how do I fix this? Yeah. Yeah. And to me, like, it's one of those things when you get in that situation, I always kind of think of anxiety and I consider my claustrophobia an anxiety oh, too, totally. right? For sure it is. Um, I, I, so... I consider that anxiety to be kind of like a funnel and where you, you know, you have the anxiety goes into the funnel and it all starts to spin and uh, it starts as it goes down, it starts to get faster and more constricted and faster and more constricted down to the base of the funnel Mm -hmm. to the point where it's just really tight and and it just feels horrible and it's fast moving and you just can't stop the momentum anymore, right? And that's what it is for me. That's a really good way to explain it. I've never really thought of it like a funnel before. But that's, I'm very impressed. See what happens when you listen to your social working wife at home? (laughs) I've never said anything about a funnel. That's all you, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Where's my degree, please? (laughs) The first relevant thing I've said in ages. Hardly. I really do appreciate that, though. That's a very good um, metaphor. I love metaphors when I'm talking about things. And that's a perfect metaphor for what, when you're spinning in your anxiety, when I'm spinning in my anxiety, that's exactly how it feels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, I can, I can honestly not think of a way to explain how I'm feeling and how, and, and it can be that fast too. Yeah. You know, it starts and it goes from nothing to critical mm-hmm. in seconds. And it, it's not that quick to recover from either. Because right. sometimes even when you come down from something like that, you feel weird. Yeah. There's like a, a hum. I always feel like a hum. Yeah. And it's almost like you had a confrontation, like, you know, if you got mugged on the street or something, that way that you would feel for the next couple hours Mm -hmm. uh, is kind of a little bit how you feel when you have a really traumatic episode like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, And that spinning is kind of how I feel when you go out with friends at night, which sounds terrible. And I, I don't like that it bothers me as much as it does. And it's not that I'm sort of being a controlling wife or I don't want you to go out or have friends. It's because of, it starts with my anxiety, but it builds because I think for me, so once I met you for the first time in my life, I felt safe. Um, You allowed me to feel safe, which I never really had before. And it's amazing. And I love it. It's also the source of my biggest fear because I do have such a strong um, feeling. You give me that such a strong feeling of safety that the thought of not having you here creates such an intense feeling of anxiety for me that 
it's hard to manage. It's really hard to bear. And so when you go out for some reason, there's something, a switch flicks off in my head and it could be after you've been gone an hour. It could be after you've been gone four hours. There's no rhyme or reason to it, but a switch turns on that thinks, where is he? Why isn't he home? It must be because he's dead. And that's the only thought in my head is that, oh my God, he's dead. I need to get a hold of him right now. And so back in the early days, I would be texting you and texting you and texting you and texting you. Where are you? Call me, call me. Where are you? What's going on? And you weren't looking at your phone. You were out with friends. You were having a good time. And I'm trying to be a good friend and not looking (laughs) at my phone all the time, right? (laughs) And so for me, not having you respond is only reinforcing this. He's dead. He is not coming home to me. What, what is going to happen? And that was something that was hard for us to deal with because I came across as like completely irrational. Well, sure. And, and because we hadn't communicated why it was important, you know, I would be sitting there going, why are you texting me a hundred <laughs> times? I'm up for beer. Like I'm just having a beer two blocks away. Like no big deal. I like said, literally be you'd be two blocks away and I would be at home crying. But one <laughs> of the things we found out through that process though, is that it's not so much what time I'm coming home or anything like that. It's just the communicating mm-hmm. of what time you will be here because you're fine until, you know, if I say I'm going to be home at 10, you're fine until 10 or 10 five. And then you're like texting, like, where are you? What's right. going on? And it's not that you mean I have to come home right now. It means if you're going to be not home till 11, then tell me yeah, that you're going to be home at 11 now. Please just let me know now. that you're safe. An update. <laughs> so that, that solved a lot of problems. Again, it like, it's a common theme, but it all just comes back to communication mm-hmm. where if you understand what, what is triggering the other person, you try not to do it or you try to do something to try and mitigate that. Right. And it's also about developing those strategies though too, because it's not so much just saying, yeah, yeah, I'll be home at 11. I see your text. I'll be home at 11. It's about knowing that Unfortunately, you need to keep your phone handy mm-hmm. so that if I text you, you can respond right. and also giving me a realistic communication. So if you're saying, oh, you know what? I got half a beer left and then I'll be heading home. Great. Or you can say, you know what? I'm having a really fun time. I'm not ready to come home yet. Give me another couple hours. And then after a couple hours, I'll text you again. <laughs> yeah. Or you'll be in bed, not sleeping, <laughs> not waiting for sleeping. me to get home. <laughs> So it's about developing those strategies to help the other person, I mean, in all honesty, feel safe and feel like like you got their back. For me, I like to know that you got my back. Right. Mm-hmm. And I always do. <laughs> you do. <laughs> yeah. So really being proactive about it is, is the big thing for me. Like, you know, figuring out what causes the anxiety and trying to do something in advance and having a plan in advance to um, slow it down. Yeah, totally. Or stop it from happening in the first place. Yeah. And another big thing that I just kind of want to say before we wrap up here today, it's really important for anyone who's experiencing a mental health challenge to have your supports. So I have you as a support, which is wonderful, but it's not fair to you if you're all I have. If I keep putting everything on you, that's not really fair. That's a lot for you to carry. And so try and have other supports, both for the person who might be having a mental health challenge And also for those supporting, because if you don't have anyone to talk to and you just have to keep supporting someone with a mental health challenge, that can be a lot. And so I just kind of want to put that out there, whether that's community supports, whether that looks like a therapist. I don't think that everyone needs a therapist, but they sure are handy if you need them. And so I just kind of want to put that out there. If you are experiencing something, 
seek help, whether it's from friends or family, if you love them, uh, or professional help, if, if that's the route that you need. Right. Well, and the nice thing is that the stigma is not quite as bad as it used to be now, right? So I think people are a little more comfortable to ask for help when they need right. it, which is which is a good thing. Yeah, people talk about it a bit more. So listeners, have you had your own mental health challenges in your own relationships? How did you deal with it? What worked and what maybe didn't work so well? Mm-hmm. Feel free to let us know. You can find us on Twitter at love underscore uncovered. Robin's at Medusa Beth and I am at Bacon Hound. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, or anything else that you kind of want to reach out to us and chat about. We love to hear from uh, people who who like to listen to us natter on. Um, our theme song is by Our Good Wolf. And you can hear more from them at ourgoodwolf.bandcamp.com. And if you like what we do, you can subscribe to Love Uncovered anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And we'd appreciate it if you shared the love and left a review because that really does help others find us. So that's it from us today. Until next time, be kind to yourself and others. And maybe don't worry so much about the back rub scorecard. (laughs) Good advice. are hot hot as hell (laughs) mics are hot the mics are hot the hosts are hot the cast the cats are having a bath (laughs) they're not hot that's not hot guys knock it off